Good song. Appreciate Daniel and Hannah doing that uh, tonight. You keep praying for them uh, as they prep for the move. They've been busy these last few weeks, and um, I appreciate those of you who've been able to offer help at various stages uh, for them. Let's pray for their family. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. Oftentimes at the beginning of a new year, believers uh, speak of this maybe being the year, the year that Jesus comes, the year that we go home. And I know that um, I've heard that for, well, ever since I was a kid. I, I was raised in churches like this. I was raised in premillennial, pre-tribulation rapture churches. And so I've always heard preachers say, man, this could be the year that Jesus comes. And I've heard that my whole life. And you know what? It's still true. This could be the year Jesus comes. He's coming eventually. Um, we might be the ones that are lifted up. I, I think it's natural for Christians to think about going to heaven. I think it's natural for a Christian to long to be home. Peter calls us in, in his first epistle... He calls us as Christians pilgrims and strangers. The word pilgrim means one who's on a journey. He's traveling. He is, uh, he's on a trip. He's not home. The word stranger is the word foreigner. We are foreigners on this planet. We are pilgrims and strangers. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 1 that when you and I got saved, we became citizens of heaven. Uh, the, the word in, in Philippians 1 is conversation. And that word is the same word that we would use for citizenship. It says, let your conversation be in heaven. Your citizenship, that's where it is. When you got saved, you were transplanted. That's where our real home is. So it's natural for us to have a pull toward heaven. I, I long for heaven. No wonder John would say, don't love the world. He said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Why? Because this world isn't my home. And though, so there's this pull in us. And once you get saved as a Christian, the truth is you ought not to be so comfortable in this world. And I ought not to be comfortable in this world. There ought to be something in us that we don't enjoy here as much as we used to. Why? Because... This world is against everything you and I ought to be for. Um, we're for Christ. The world's not. We're for righteousness and holiness. The world's not. We're for genuine satisfaction. The world can't offer that. We're for true success according to the Bible. The world has its false ideas of success. Nothing in the world lives up to what the believer ought to be pressing for. Paul expressed this desire toward this pull to go to heaven. Paul expressed it like this in Philippians 1.23. He said, for I am in a strait betwixt two. We would say, I'm between a rock and a hard place. I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. The other side of that was, or I stay here with you and I continue to minister. And he said, I'm just pulled. But his point was, if I depart here, I'll be with Christ. There was something in him pulling that way. And when, when we consider this life with its burdens and its sorrows and its trials or its hardships, its threatened losses, when we consider those things, there is that underlying desire for us to be done with that. Let's just get home. Let's be done with disease. 
Let's be done with bad news. Let's be done with grief or with trial or with persecution in some cases. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul is expressing that desire. I want to go home. And so I, I, uh, I'm using that title I mentioned to you a moment ago. I feel like traveling on. That's Paul's, that's Paul's desire. That, start, that song starts out, my heavenly home is bright and fair. I feel like traveling on. No pain nor death can enter there. I feel like traveling on. That's the idea of 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. And tonight I'd like to look at just the first nine verses. It's a great chapter. Uh, and we could get bogged down if we tried to do the whole thing. So let's just look at verses 1 through 9 tonight. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan. <coughs> Could I stop and just say the word tabernacle, he's talking about your physical body. Every time you see that in here, think my physical body. He says, those of us in this physical body, we do groan being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon. That mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Don't you like the way he sums that up? Whether we're here or whether with him, we're seeking the approval of God. I'd like to speak to you tonight on that thought. I feel like traveling on. Paul's expressing that here. And I want us to look at some of the words that he uses throughout, this, uh, throughout these nine verses. There are not that many. Uh, but let's look at some of the words that he uses. Let's start with some words about hardship. Some words about hardship. He describes some of the things we deal with in a sin-cursed world. We can especially, can't we identify with him when he talks about groaning in this body. Uh, the older you get, the more you groan. That's just how it works. Paul was saying that. Remember, he'd been beaten. He'd been chastised. He'd been persecuted. He'd been stoned. He'd been left for dead. He was in a body that caused him to groan. So let's start with some words about hardship. And he reminds us of some things. In verse number one, first of all, he reminds us that this life is a temporary time. And we need to be remembered of this. It is not always going to be like this. Now, sometimes we lose sight of that because this is all we've ever known. All we've ever experienced is life on this sin-cursed planet. So Paul reminds us in verse number one, this life is a temporary time. We have this earthly house of this tabernacle. That word tabernacle refers to a tent, <coughs> excuse me, or a temporary dwelling. And it, like I said a moment ago, it's a metaphor for the body that you're in. John Quincy Adams was 80 years old when a friend met him while he was walking down the street. 
he had uh, he had long since been done with the presidency and he's walking down the street and his friend saw him and said well how is John Quincy Adams doing today John Quincy Adams had a great reply here's his reply thank you sir John Quincy Adams is doing quite well I thank you but the house in which he lives at present is becoming dilapidated it is tottering upon its foundations time and season has nearly destroyed it its roof is pretty well worn out, its walls are much shattered, and it trembles at every cold wind. The old tenement is becoming almost uninhabitable, and I think John Quincy Adams shall soon have to move out of it. But John Quincy Adams himself is quite well. He died less than a year later. You see, you are not your body. Your body's wearing out, my body's wearing out, that's just how it goes. You are not it. Paul says that this earthly body, he uses not only that word tabernacle in verse number one, he also uses that word dissolved. Did you see that? If, he said, if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, that means to demolish or destroy, but it also means to loosen and let go. If this body is loosened and it's, it's let go, Paul said, it's going to be okay. That word dissolved that we use right there in its application of loosen, that's the word that the Greek language uses to describe a traveler who loosens the straps on the burdens that his donkey or his camel was carrying as they took a trip. As they traveled, they would latch their luggage onto a donkey or onto a camel and they would go their way. And when they got to their destination, they loosened those straps and unpacked because they were home. That's the word that Paul says, if our straps get loosened at the end of the journey, it's going to be okay. We have a house in heaven not made with hands. That's a beautiful picture going on here. And his point is this. You're on a journey, and this life is a temporary time. You have a mortal body, and I have a mortal body. It will wear out. If you live long enough, it will wear out. They can replace your knees. They can replace Brother David. They can replace. It's good to see Brother David here tonight, isn't it? Uh, you, you can replace your hips. You can replace shoulders. You can replace all these things. But eventually, that body's going to wear out. It's a temporary time in which you and I live. Now, there's a blessing side of that and a burden side of that. The blessing side of that is because this life is temporary, that means its trials and its hardships and its testings and its sufferings, those things are also temporary. They're not going to last forever. Some preacher said, I, he said that his most favorite, you've heard that before, his most favorite phrase in the Bible is, and it came to pass. It's going to pass. That's the blessing side of this being a temporary life is that this is temporary, and the things you and I struggle with in this life, it's going to pass. But there's also a burden side of that, because there comes a time when we have to say goodbye to those that we love. That's the downside of it. There's a temporary separation when the icy hand of death comes to a home. It's a temporary life. You and I, if we're wise in our evangelism, we'll use that when we're talking to people and remind them, this life is not the only one you have. There's an eternity to be reckoned with. This is a temporary life. So that, that aspect makes this temporary time a burden. But the blessing side of it is your trials are going to pass one day. 
So Paul says in verse number one that this life is a temporary time. And then in verses two, three, and four, he reminds you as if we needed it, it is also a tragic time. He talks about in verses two and three and four about groaning and being burdened. He says all these things. In verse two, he talks about groaning. You know what that is. (laughs) That doesn't have to be demonstrated or defined at all, does it? In verse number four, he talks about being burdened. That particular work talks about being burdened on the inside. There's a, there's a heaviness to us. In verse number four, he also uses the word mortality. That mortality just means something that is subject to death. And that's what he's saying there. We are burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. So he tells us that this is a time of tragedy too. There's burden and there's, there's loss, there's mortality to be reckoned with. And that kind of language reminds us of the hardships and the tragedies that we have in this life. You know, soldiers and, and first responders aren't the only one that suffer from post-traumatic stress or post-traumatic stress syndrome. You and I go through traumas in this life. And following that, there is a measure of post-traumatic stress. Paul's saying that's part of this life. As long as we live in this world, we're going to face hardships. We'll not take the time tonight, but if you're jotting down notes, you can write them down. Job chapter 14 and verse number 1. He talks about man that is born of woman. It is full of trouble, Job said. Mark, or, or John chapter 16 and verse number uh, 33. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. All of these verses, Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. Words of a prophet or words of the Savior himself. They all tell us that this life is a tragic time. There are things we're going to face in this world that bring to our hearts hardship. I wrote down some of those things. Disease infirmity, the results of aging, death, betrayal, all of these things. Like when your associate pastor just quits on you, just up and quits, like that. I love Daniel, don't you? You know, he, he uh, I'll say this, this really, really has nothing to do with the tragic time, but I really have appreciated Daniel's willing heart for the last five and a half years. Uh, I, I just appreciate that in him. So I give him a hard time about quitting on us. Um, I've called him quitter publicly and privately for the last few weeks. All in good humor, but a little bit of truth in there too. There are times when, when we face things in this life and there, you, you can adequately call them tragedy, the loss that you face. This life is, it's temporary it's also at times tragic for us. And, and if you've never experienced tragedy in your life, you'll know it when it comes. You'll know it. Because that heaviness that Paul talks about where he says in verse number four, you're burdened, you'll, you'll know it. It's a weight and it's not on your back, it's in your heart and it's on your mind and you can't get it, you can't get it gone. Paul says this life is a, is a temporary time It's a tragic time. He also says in verse number seven, it's a testing time. It's a testing time. God's proving you and I. Did you note that in verse number seven? It says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. 
we face these things and walk by faith, that God will get us through them. And sometimes when we're in the middle of that fight, boy, it's hard to remember that. But he will. We walk by faith. Those trials and tragedies and traumas that come our way, they are preparing us for glory. They are making us more like Christ. He is testing us in all of these things. Trying, as Romans 8.29 says, he's working to conform you and I to the image of his son. And he's making you and me look more like Jesus and less like ourselves. I can't, I can't imagine that if a stone had feelings, I can't imagine that that stone would enjoy the chiseling process. But I want you to consider some of the great, some of the great statues that have been created in history because someone took a hammer and a chisel to a piece of granite and created some beautiful statues. Now the chiseling process wasn't fun, but an image was being formed through that hard chiseling process. And that's what's going on with you and me. It's a time of testing and, and, and God, the chiseler, he, the sculptor, he's making you and me look more and more like Jesus Christ until the day that we see him face to face where John talked about, he said, I know that when we behold him, we're going to be made like him. You're in the process of that. I'm in the process of that right now. It's a time of testing for us. And his goal for every child of God is to make them look like Christ. I read a story recently about a preacher who lost his uh, he lost his wife and his children in a tragic fire. The whole family died. And he was walking through town and he was considering whether or not he should even continue in the ministry. Everything coming down on him. And his thought was, how could God, whom I give, I've given my life to, how could he allow something so terrible to happen as this? My wife's gone, my children are gone. He walked past a construction site where a huge cathedral was being built. And it was near completion. And on the inside, they were just finishing off some of the final pieces being put into place. And he saw a mason there. And that mason was on the ground and he was chiseling. And, and the, the preacher looked at, looked at him and he saw he's chiseling out a triangle. He's got a hard piece of stone and he's cutting it to a triangle. And he asked that, uh, that guy what he's doing. And he said, well, he said, I'm, I'm down here on the floor working on this, this piece of stone. I'm trying to cut it into a triangle, but I'm going to fit it right there. And he pointed up. And sure enough, at the top of this cathedral, there's, there's a hole up there that's shaped like a triangle. And he said, you see that little tiny place up there, that little place that's open like a triangle near the roof? He said, I'm shaping this triangle down here in a minute. I'm going to climb up there, and I'm going to put this there. And God spoke to that preacher's heart right there, and it dawned on him. What God was doing down here on this earth was shaping him and getting him ready for life up there. He's conforming you and I to the image of his son so that when we finally get to see Jesus face to face, and that will be a great day. When we finally do see him, we will be conformed to fit perfectly in that perfect place that he's preparing for us. Your trials and my trials, church, they're not intended to destroy us. Not at all. That's certainly not, not why God is bringing them into our lives and, and allowing them in our lives. He's shaping us. He's making us like Christ. So Paul starts this chapter and he gives us these words about hardship and the time in which you and I live. 
But then he jumps ahead and he says, he said, not only are there words here about hardship so that we know what's going on in this life, we're groaning, we're burdened, we have mortal bodies that are struggling. He gives a second some words about hope. With all of these trials or hardships in this life, we are given hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he points out some things that you and I have in this hope. First of all, he says we have a comforting hope. Look at verse number four. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up in life. He gives us hope in Jesus Christ. We'll be swallowed up in life. You're not going to be swallowed up in death. Your body will die. Friday afternoon, we met over in Dandridge and and the body of Cecil Page Jr. was commended to the ground, but Cecil Page Jr. wasn't. The body dies. Paul says all of us are going to lay these bodies down. They're, they're going to wear out, but they're going to be raised in a new body eventually. But when you die, you're going to be at home with Jesus Christ. It's going to be, you're going to be clothed in life. Revelation 21.4 says this, that when, all the end, when the end all comes, it says this, the former things are passed away. There's some words of hope here. And this, this hope that we have, first of all, it's comforting. You're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you turn back just a couple of pages, you'll come to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse number 49, Paul begins to talk about the glories of a new body and a new home. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, this body here, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. That's 53, verse 53, that's saying this is going to happen. It must do this, because God's ordained this to happen. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Now in the next book, he's talking about being swallowed up of life. That's what's going to happen. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Verse 58 needed those preceding verses. Paul telling you and I to be steadfast and unmovable and abounding in the work of the Lord. We needed those preceding verses to tell us this life is not always going to be like this. We're not always going to be mortal. We will put on immortality. God is going to do some things. They're wonderful words of hope 
And these, these hopeful words, first of all, they give us comfort. If you go back to Ecclesiastes 12, we won't turn there, but Ecclesiastes 12 verses 3 through 7 poetically tell us about how our bodies wear down. And it says things like, uh, it says some like your, your strength goes, your teeth go, your hearing goes, your eyesight goes. It's a wonderful chapter. Go back and read it. Great encouragement there. It's going to tank for you is what he's saying. This body is going to wear out. Somebody said, this was good. Somebody said, you know you're getting older when? Ready? You know you're getting older when it takes you longer to rest up than it did to get tired. When most of your dreams are reruns. When you sit down in a rocking chair and you can't get it started. You know you're getting older when you don't care where your wife goes as long as you don't have to go with her. When your knees buckle but your belt won't. You know you're getting older when you sink your teeth into a steak and they stay there. You know you're getting older when everything hurts and what doesn't hurt doesn't work. The fact is these bodies are wearing out. But Paul says this, take comfort, have hope. Death is going to be swallowed up of life. Mortality is going to be swallowed up in immortality. Corruption is going to put on incorruption. These are comforting words for you and I. The body's going to wear out. It does. Not fun, not enjoyable. It's part of the process. God is teaching through that wearing out process God is teaching you and I how to better accommodate his grace in our lives. You need grace today that you didn't need 10 years ago. You need grace today that you didn't need 30 years ago. But no matter your trial or stage in life, early or, or, or old, uh, healthy or unhealthy, no matter your stage in life or your, where you're at, God's grace is sufficient. His grace is always bigger. Somebody said people are either coming and going. You know that verse in scripture that says uh, dust we are and dust we shall return. We're dust. We, either, we are either coming or going, but we're just dust. A little boy looked under his bed and he went flying downstairs to his mom. He said, Mom, he said, you remember the preacher the other day said we're all, we're all but dust and we're, we're either coming or going? He said, yeah. He said, I don't know who's under my bed, but they're either coming or going. There are a lot of dust gets found, but you and I, we are, we're dust. One day these bodies, if the Lord tarries, it's ashes to ashes and dust to dust for us. But Paul says that is not a, that is not a reason to be uh, uncomforted. It's not a reason to lose hope. Your corruption is going to put on incorruption. We have a wonderful, comforting hope in Jesus Christ. But he, we also have not just a comforting hope, we have a confident hope. We won't read the verses again. We've read them twice so far. But verse 1 and verse 6, pick out some of those words that Paul uses in there. We know. We have. We are always confident. We are confident. He says all of these things. This confident hope that we have, it's not a maybe hope so kind of thing. It's our hope. It's our blessed hope. It's a no so hope. 
We know, we have, we are always confident. So as a result of this confident hope, you don't have to worry about things working out for us in eternity. You don't have to worry about that. They're going to work out. We have God's word on it. And Hebrews 6.18 says he can't lie. He's going to bring these good things to pass for us. Paul, Paul takes this confidence, and, and you'll know this verse as soon as I start reading it in Philippians 1.6, where Paul writes, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. That is certainty right there. He will perform it. You can take that to the bank. We have a comforting hope, yes, but we have a confident hope. Hope as well. When they take your body to the cemetery or they take my body, and unless we're raptured, one day they'll do that. They will walk our body to a hole and our loved ones are going to put that body in the ground. Listen carefully. They're not burying you. I, I've, heard, I've heard Christians say, I just can't stand the thought of being in the ground. You're not going to be. Don't worry about it. You are gone. Your, your loved ones are not going to bury you. They're going to bury your tabernacle. They're going to bury your tent. I, you know, put me wherever you want to put that thing. I don't care. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, th this, is, this is confident hope that we can have. They can't put you in the ground. Those old boxes they have in the mausoleums, they can't put you in that box. You're in heaven. You, you'll be gone. It is a confident hope we have in Christ. This old house that John Quincy, Adam, uh, John Quincy Adams spoke of, it may collapse. It will wear out. But you will have passed from death to life. Praise the Lord for that. Your family that knows Christ you can have this confident hope, a comforting hope, a confident hope, finally a cleansing hope. In verse number 9, it says, back in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 9, it says, Wherefore we labor that whether, we, uh, whether present or absent, whether we're present here on earth or absent from here and present with the Lord, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. The hope of seeing Jesus Christ face to face at any time should purify you and I. It should change the way we live. It should affect the choices that we make and the words that we say. It ought to change us. It is a purifying, uh, a purifying hope that we have here. It's a cleansing hope. That word labor in verse number 9, it says, wherefore we labor. That particular word has a it has a spirit of eagerness in it. It just doesn't mean to, and there, there, are, there are words in the Bible that refer to something as toiling and working hard and, and it's hard labor. That's not this word. This word is talking about doing your work with eagerness. Think of that at any moment you could be with Jesus Christ. At any moment. Just like that. We've had folks in our church family that have died just like that. And before their tabernacle hit the floor, they were looking in the face of Jesus. At any given moment, you and I could be in the presence of Christ 
we could be, we could be in heaven. Having said that, then we want to be found at that particular moment. We want to be found living a life that is ready to see Jesus face to face. We want our testimony to be right. We want our current activities and our current endeavors to be right. We don't want there to be anything that would bring a reproach on Christ. Paul said in verse number 9, whether whether absent or present, doesn't matter. We want to be accepted of him. If we really believe we could see Jesus imminently by death or by rapture, we'll want to live a life that pleases him. So stay pure. This is a cleansing hope. So Paul starts out and he gives us some words about hardship and he describes the life that we live. But he comes back and he gives us some, word about, some words about hope. Don't be despairing. And then the last he closes, and we'll close tonight with this. He gives us some words about home. About home. He tells us about the place to which you and I are headed. A place that's prepared for us when this life is over. And he says, first of all, in verse number one, he said, that home is a perfect place. Would you note that in verse number one? We know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God. You can stop right there. Where we're going is, is of God. God. That building of God describes the nature of that place. He is a perfect God and he's making a perfect place. Everything in this world is tainted by sin. That's what Romans 8.22 tells us. It's all tainted by sin. But none of those defilements that make this world sinful, none of those defilements can make their way into heaven. It is a perfect place. Can I remind you, we just finished our study through Revelation a couple of months ago. Can I remind you what it says? Revelation 21, verse number 27. And there shall in no wise enter into it, heaven, anything that defileth, nor whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie. So heaven then is a place where defilements and abominations and lies and trials and burdens and sins and diseases cannot exist. No death, no tears, no enemy, no evil, no sadness. No betrayal, no grief, no discouragement. None of those things darken that place. Why? Because a perfect God is making it. The home to which you and I are going is a perfect place being prepared, according to John 14, being prepared right now. It's a perfect place. Our home is a permanent place. Stay in verse number 1. And the last phrase describes where we're going and what the body we're going to have. It's eternal in the heavens. Our earthly life is temporary. We started out there. And, and boy, is that not illustrated in scripture after scripture? Psalm 103, verses 15 and 16 say this. As for man, his days are as grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. This life is temporary, but our next life is permanent. Our home there is permanent. It's going to last forever. Paul says this. He, I, I mentioned this this morning, these declarative statements that the scripture makes. This is a declarative statement here. It will not pass away. It will not fade away. This place is, in Paul's words, eternal in the heavens. Your new body and your new home, eternal in the heavens. Paul's friend Peter agreed with that thought. 
He says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance, listen, incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. It is a permanent place to which we're going. This is, this is God's word for us. It is a perfect place. It's a permanent place. And in verse number 8, back in our text in 2 Corinthians 5, it is a precious place. Why? Look at verse number 8. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Why is it a precious place? Because we're going to see... Jesus Christ face to face for the first time. He is what makes that place heaven. As soon as death claims our body, we will find ourselves in the very presence of the one who died to save us. It is a precious place because Jesus is there. Streets of gold? Yep. Walls of jasper? Uh Uh-huh. My loved ones who've gone before me? Absolutely. If they knew Christ, I'll see them again. What makes it precious? I'll see Jesus face to face. I don't know what it's going to be like, John said, but I know this. When I see him, I'll be like him. It's a precious place that we're going to. You, you remember that old, there's another old gospel song, Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me. That's a great line. It doesn't matter if there's streets of gold there. It doesn't matter if there are walls of jasper and gates of pearl and all these. It doesn't matter. What makes it precious is the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse number 8, he says, we are confident, I say, and willing. Paul says, if if you want to take me right now, I'm ready to go. Don't you like that kind of confidence, that kind of anticipation? We are ready, he says, and willing, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Compare that with what he says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 8. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ. For Paul, departing this life was synonymous with with seeing Jesus. When he thought of departing this life, he didn't think of leaving loved ones behind. He didn't think of seeing loved ones who were already over there. When Paul thought of death, he thought of seeing Jesus. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ. To be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. He just equated death with being with Jesus. There was no dread in him. He says, for we are confident, I say, and willing, ready to go right now. Man, what a great, what a great thought. These are the words Paul gives us when he's, when he's writing to the Corinthian church, his second letter to them, And he's writing and he gives these words and here's the message he's giving. I feel like traveling on. I'm ready and and willing right now. Let's go. Getting up a bus, let's go. He's ready right now. There's the Latin word Mediterraneous. That Latin word means literally translated middle of the earth. Ancient sailors used to sail in and around the Mediterranean Sea. And they would, uh, when they kept going west in the Mediterranean Sea and they 
they came far enough west, they would come to what we now call the Straits of Gibraltar. When they sailed through the Straits of Gibraltar, you know, if you, you're familiar with your geography over there, that just empties right into the Atlantic Ocean. And they would go out in, through the Straits, and they would, they would go a little ways out into the open ocean, but they would always come back through those Straits quickly and, and do their business in and around the coasts of the Mediterranean Sea. At some point, probably a sailor climbed up on the rock of Gibraltar that's there at the Straits, and he chiseled or somehow engraved into one of the rocks up there, uh, he chiseled the Latin words, ne plus ultra, which translates no more beyond. Their idea as ancient sailors, when they left those straits and they walked out, and there's the Atlantic Ocean, their thought was, there's nothing else out there but the end of the world. Turn this boat around back into the straits. Ne plus ultra. And then explorers, uh, and hats off to these guys who just took off across the ocean not knowing. They took off west across the Atlantic Ocean. And shazam, there was more land over there. They didn't fall off the end of the planet. Sorry for you flat earthers. They came to the Americas. And then all things kind of opened up there. And these explorers found the Americas, and you know how that, how that went. Someone returned to that cave on Gibraltar's rock after this had happened, and they, they took off that very first word, that first word, N-E. They, they scratched that thing out, so all that was left was, instead of no more beyond, all that was left was more beyond. So that when you come to the end of the Straits of Gibraltar, it's not the end of the world. There's, there's more beyond here. So what used to read no more beyond now reads more beyond. And I would remind you, Christian, that there is more beyond this life. That's what Paul is pressing on you and pressing on me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Yes, we groan in this life. Yes, we are burdened in this life. Yes, we have these trials, but there is more beyond. Don't let someone tell you that this is all there is. Don't let some false preacher in a wolf in sheep's clothing tell you you can have your best life now. You can't. You can't have your best life, Christian, on this planet. There's more beyond. Paul said it's a place of hope, and you can be confident in that hope, and you can be comforted by that hope. There is more beyond for you and I. That is a wonderful, comforting thought. If I were you, I'd go back and I'd read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, maybe the whole chapter, but read that, read that, those, that passage at least that we talked about tonight. Just go back and, and read that again and be reminded that one day, this life is going to pass, and there is, so, there is so much more for you where everything's been made right, everything that defiles and is an abomination and that offends and that hurts and that destroys, all of that is going to be eternally gone. That's what God has promised for his children.
What a fantastic passage of scripture. I hope you know Jesus. And Christian, I hope that God's word encourages you through those tough times in your life, through the trials you and I have to face, I hope they, that you're encouraged by God's promises. This life, uh, this life is not all there is. There is more for you. There's more for me. And what he has, and I know this verse is not, I, I know this verse is not in context talking about heaven. But what he has, uh, do you remember that verse that says, eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard what the Lord has for him. I know that's not talking about heaven itself, but it certainly can be applied to that. Amen. It certainly can be. You can't begin, nor can I, to imagine the eternal life that God is preparing for us right now. It's promised to you. And I hope that, I hope that God's word, the promises in it, carry you through the hard trials you face, the hardships you face. Let God's word carry you through. His promises are true and righteous altogether. The Old Testament says his word is true and righteous altogether. That means there's no... There's no flaws in it, no falsehoods in it. He's, it's for you. You can trust it. Isn't that a good passage of scripture? Read it again. Psalm, or, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Read that this week in your private time and see if God won't encourage your heart again in all of that. I'd like to close our service tonight uh, having a special time of prayer with Brother John Yingling. Um, very early tomorrow morning, 5.30 in the morning, He's taking off from McGee-Tyson Airport. He's heading to the Philippines for three weeks, uh, visiting four different missionaries, one of whom he has a little more invested in than the other three. Um, he's going to be visiting, of course, with his daughter Amber, but also seeing Rusty and Lita Ocampo and Knapp and Shirley Donato, those two families our church partners with. They're Filipinos that have ministries in the Philippines. We'll... Uh, we're looking forward to hearing what John reports back on those. And then also another bio family, the Trout family, are over in the Philippines. And Brother John will get to see them and see a bunch of different works. And so what I'd like to do tonight with our, with our church family is close with a special time of prayer for him and for his family. I'd like you to be in prayer for Nikki while John's gone. Nikki's aunt passed away this week. Um, her aunt died of dementia. And Nikki and John have her mother living with them who also has dementia. And so uh, right at this time when John's getting ready to leave, certain things are coming in, bringing some concerns to John's heart. And as a church family, what we can do is rally around Nikki and help while, how we can while he's gone and make sure that her, their needs are met. Uh, but I want to have prayer for John tonight. He's got a lot of traveling to do. He's going to be sitting by people in the plane who, who knows they may, they may be on that plane just so uh, Brother Yingling can share the gospel with them. A lot of plane, a lot of plane miles. And where are they going to go if they don't want to hear it? You see, see how that works. So, uh, so let's let's pray for him tonight. In fact, can we do it like this, John? Would you mind coming? And I'd ask our deacons if you would. Would you come down with Brother John down at the down at this altar? And Nikki, if you want to come with him, you're welcome to. Um, well, I said that, and there's like no pressure all of a sudden, is there? Um, but if, if y'all, and, and deacons, would you just come and get around John and Nikki and uh, join them tonight at the altar? And then the rest of you, let's stand together. We're going to be dismissed in prayer, and we're going to ask God to, uh, to bless the yinglings. But I'd like our deacons to gather around, uh, gather around them tonight. And I think there's something special about a church family targeting our missionaries with prayer. 
And so let's do, let's do that tonight, all right? Let's bow together. Father, it's good to be in your house, and we could never express how grateful we are for the promises in your word that remind us that this life is not all there is. We are looking forward to the more beyond. We can't wait to be in your presence. Until then, Father, we need you and your Holy Spirit to keep us faithful doing what we ought to do. Tonight, we're coming to you on behalf of our brother John Yingling as he prepares for this trip, and it's a long trip, Lord. He's got a lot of miles to cover, and there are so many aspects of that trip that we are commending into your hand, trusting that you'll do exactly what you want to do from the traveling that he does and the people that he comes into contact with to the, to the luggage that he carries, uh, Father, the, the time he's going to spend with missionaries and with Filipino pe believers and maybe Filipino unbelievers. And all of those things, Lord, we are commending into your care. We ask that you would protect John while he's gone. Give him the words if he comes across Christians or even missionaries who are discouraged. May his words bring light to them and, Lord, to be an encouragement to them. As he preaches time and time again, I think John said he's preaching 10 times in these three weeks. Father, I pray that the messages that you've given in his heart would be clear in his mind and that through the translators would be, uh, would be effectively delivered to the hearers. I pray, Father, that you would watch over Nikki while he's gone. Bless her and bless her family during this time as they uh, lay an ant to rest and they're going through a time of grief. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come alongside, not only comfort, but help and sustain and strengthen. And I pray for the Yingling family and any things that you throw into their way, Lord, may, uh, may prayers of God's people be effective in running block for them. We pray that you'd surround this family during this time. It's a vulnerable time in travel and separation. And so, Lord, do your work and bless this trip. May people come to Christ and may believers be strengthened because of it. And help us over the next 20 or 30 days or so to be faithfully praying uh, for John. And whatever time you bring him to our mind, may we pause and pray your, pray your protection and your blessing on his ministry. Thank you again for all of your work in us and through us. We pray that we'd stay faithful vessels to you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless.